Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. All right, welcome back to Training for Manhood. Uh, Dan with Tim and Jonathan, again, talking about Strange New World, chapters three and four. Uh, so hopefully by this time, you uh, you know you went and you got the book because you listened to chapters one and two and you said, hey man, I gotta read that myself. Um, so it'd be great if you were reading along with us. Um, we're just kind of having a conversation as we, uh, we've we read through it um, and uh, things that we think would be helpful. Um, but really digesting this and reading with it and, and wrestling it yourself is, is really, really important. But uh, chapter three is, is titled uh, Prometheus Unbound. Um, he's going to dive into a little bit of uh, Karl Marx and uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. Um, and, and really the, the important thing here is um, if <laughs> – I think what he's trying to look at is throughout history, if there's ideas out there, right, those ideas can be um, attacked and tackled and wrestled with with other competing ideas. And the one idea, right, that comes from God's word as the ultimate source of truth, that's the one you got to get rid of. Right, that's the one you have to eliminate because then what you're left with is, you know, Tim's ideas, Jonathan's ideas, and Dan's ideas, right? And and we can wrestle with them all we want. And and you know, sometimes um, the smartest idea wins. Sometimes the guy with the biggest guns wins. Right? Sometimes the guy who has the most votes wins. Right. But you've got to get rid of objective truth so that subjective truth can just battle it out, right. right? And so immediately he's like, okay, so where where was objective truth taken out of the conversation? And he points back to, right, Karl Marx. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, Marx was the one who, you know, kind of put the idea out there and just said, hey, here's, here's the problem. Uh, religion uh, is a problem, right? You, you got to get rid of it, right? And a lot of us know the quote where he talks about, you know, religion is the opium of the people, um, in the book, he puts this a nice big long quote from Marx. Right, the foundation of um, irreligious criticism is man makes religion; religion does not make man. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of the heartless world, and the soul of soulless creatures. It is the opium of the people. The abolition of religion as the illusory, illusory happiness of the people is the demand for their real happiness. And and that's the point. What he's trying to say is, right? If Marx can get rid of God as the objective standard, he's left with man as the objective or as the subjective standard. And then Karl Marx now becomes our leader because he's going to put forth the ideas that sound good, that tickle my ears, that we can get 51% of the people that agree with, or in terms of Karl Marx, he can grab Lenin and his guns and he can put them into force, right? And you end up with a world system that doesn't have to have objective truth as its reality. It it can figure out, hey, what makes you happy? And we promote that, Mm. Right, and 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 that's the concept that he that he really lays out here, uh, where this happens. He, he then throws in Nietzsche, um, you know, and he and basically Nietzsche's like God's dead, right? And without God, there are no moral constraints. You can do whatever you want, and people celebrate, right? Like, yay, woohoo! Again, we go back to that idea of, you know, that is the thing that people thought they were restrained by was religion and morality, as opposed to freed to. Right, the the way of of looking at life was, um, I want to do what I want to do, not what I ought to do. 
And what you begin to realize is if you were designed for a particular purpose, the greatest thing in life is doing what you were designed for, right? And that means that there's a designer. So that whole conversation begins to happen in chapter three. And it's a, it's a pretty heady little chapter to kind of wade through, but uh, it's, a, it's a pretty fascinating thing to kind of see where he yeah. takes you. What would you guys think about it? There's a lot in this chapter. <laughs> I, I mean, and it's and I think it's helpful. Again, I'm just thinking about the guy out there, Dan, that's that's stepping into this kind of content for the first time, and it's like, what do I? How do I parse this with yeah, trying to yeah. love Jesus or just yep. be a, be an above board good moral guy? Right. And and I think it's helpful to re, to remember that it's not like we're a thousand years removed from these conversations. Right. The, these these guys aren't that far off down the continuum of history, and the the massive damage that they cause, these ideologies cause the tens of millions mm. of people that were murdered in the name of these ideologies. And perhaps, depending on how you look at the world, well, maybe not, but perhaps, some variation of that is still taking place today. Uh, today. There's yep. no question. Yep. There's, there's worldwide structures and governmental structures that are predicated on this view of the world. And neither of them, I mean, they, I think one of the things that you ought, the conclusion that if you're, if you're somebody who wants to walk well with Jesus, one of the first conclusions is you should unilaterally draw is a dismissal of both of these worldviews yeah. as completely unbiblical. Yep. And and I think that well, okay so okay not only unbiblical mm. right I think not helpful yeah okay because you know yeah. another part of that is you know hey they're unbiblical they're not helpful yeah that's right and they don't stand the test of reality right right well and that, that's what I was my head was screaming as you were talking about this I want people to let that sit in yeah. these ideologies what are the fruit of them yeah versus mm. and again Christianity hasn't got it right in all aspects historically. No. But as it relates to human flourishing and joy and peace and happiness and, and, right. and understanding of who I am and That's who right. made me and the world around me and what makes it work, I mean, there's a vast contrast between the two. So just even looking at yeah. it from a historical standpoint, yeah. none of these ideologies have been helpful no. to the I, I think, <laughs> to no, humanity. Not at all. I think yeah. about in the, in the movie Here Comes the Boom. Um, mm. When he when he makes the applesauce for him and he's eating the applesauce and he had you know made it and left it in the car. And it had it had gotten you know, gone bad, right? The fruit, as applesauce will do. Yes, yeah. the yeah. fruit of these ideas when you eat it, it's, it's bad. It's rotten. It's rotten. It's, it's, cool. it's right. You, you're going to have yeah. bad consequences. Now, for the people on on the top, the people in control, it's a blast. right? It's a blast. Yeah, because the the bad fruit. Right, you push down to the people below you. You step on them. They suffer the consequences. You elevate your life. But it, it only lasts for a moment. Yeah, and that's the right? tra- that, that's the real falsehood. That's the fallacy of Marxism. Exactly, is that I can I can flatten the human experience, yeah. but the fact of the matter is because of the reality of sin. And Marx, if I'm not mistaken, sort of concedes this before he dies. It's not it's not well it's not broadly printed, but he does. I think he does concede if I remember right. But the flattening of humanity, and he's more interested, and Truman, I think, is as well to point this out. Marx is particularly interested in the economic and political ramifications yep. of that ideology. Yep. But to Tim's point, nonetheless, when you attempt to flatten the human experience, right? So there's there's full. I mean, I think we should import the word here. It's probably a good time for it, equality. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the overuse, the wearing out of that word. But it's not like we invented that idea. Marxism is an attempt, a very vain attempt to flatten all of human experience, all of human flourishing, like Tim said, yep. into this very baseline world. But that is absolutely – I mean spend five minutes in a first-grade classroom. It's impossible. Human nature says it's only a matter of time before 
I will be the bourgeoisie and you will be the proletariat. Totally. It's, just, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it's so I think I think you're well it, that's well said to, and, to remind people it's not it's not right. workable. And it fights against the design that, you know, in the first grade classroom, right? Some kid is taller than another kid, right? Some kid's shorter than another kid, some kid's smarter than another kid, yeah. some kids right? And 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 the reality is, is you see that and to fight against the design and to say, listen, here's the deal. Nobody's good at anything. Right. So right. so we all suffer together. It's like, well, wait a second. I'm, I'm good at this. It's like, no, no. Not anymore you're not. Right. Not anymore you're not. Right. And so it it, it unfortunately um, you know, kind of hamstrings everybody yeah. so that we get to the least common denominator and then we all live there in existence. And you're like, that doesn't help anybody, mm-hmm. right? Except for the person who doesn't want to do anything. <laughs> anyway, right? Cause Which is not, irrelevant because we're all on the same plane. Yeah, because you're because you're, now you're all yeah now you're all down with me, right? I mean, I mean, so you know, Tim's a baseball player, right? But it's like you know, just because you can throw the ball faster than I can, that's unfair. Mm-hmm. So here's what we're going to do, right? Is we're all going to limit, right? You know, everybody's everybody got a 60, thirty miles an hour, right? Yeah, thir- thirty mile an hour fastball. And all of a sudden, you get a kid up there going, "Well, good, I'll, you throw a thirty mile an hour fastball, mm-hmm. I get a home run every time." But that's not fair either. Because I'm not strong enough to hit a home run every time, right? right? So now all of a sudden your 30 mile an hour fastball meets my wiffle bat, <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> right? And right. we have a super boring game, and nobody wants right. to go see it. Right. I mean, and that's the reality, unfortunately, of what Marx gives us, right? Is something that nobody actually wants to participate in, even the people who are over there living under it, right? Right? So that's right. why you have the elite, <laughs> right? Even in communist countries, right. right? They keep everybody else down and they say to them, hey, listen, here's the equality that we're trying to promote. And it's like, but you're not part of the equality. <laughs> right. Somebody still has to perpetuate Some, the system. Exactly. Somebody still has. And I think, again, and I, I don't know, we hear this a lot, I think, is just guys that, that walk a lot with, with younger guys and discipling. And, and I think Tim would agree with this. There, there is a growing uh, affection for socialism. It's, it's, it's sort of coming back around the corner. Yes. And I think in like 1970, if you'd lined up 10 Americans and said, hands up or down on communism, I think you're like nine and a half out of 10 probably. Yeah. I think it's pretty fair. Now, nobody would say communism, but they would absolutely talk about socialistic structures. Yeah. And so it's still very insidious because it sneaks in. Economically, it sneaks in. And, oh, I don't know. Take your pick. Mm, pay, for, pay for college. Reparations. All sorts of different things that we're importing back into our social structure that are deeply socialistic at their root, and they never, ever, ever work. They do not solve the root of the problem. Yep. Because – the root of the problem is you. humanity. <laughs> it's the dudes <laughs> and we're back there again. There we are again. <laughs> yeah. But but okay. So you know, as as a as a dad with you know two that just got out of college, one who's there. If you told me, hey, somebody else is paying for your kids to go to college. Oh, now all of a sudden, it's a positive to me. In the moment that I'm in right now. Sure. Now, was it a positive to me ten years ago? No. Was will it be a positive to me in about you know six years when my kids are done with college? No. Nope. Right. So so it's kind of that, you know, thing of like most people look at how does it benefit me, which is where, right, mm-hmm. the whole book is about in the first place. Right. When you look at situations, how does it benefit me? And what he's saying is, okay, here's the deal. Here we're we're getting there. We're getting there. The first thing we gotta do is we gotta make sure that we're getting rid of an objective standard for what benefits you. Right, Cause, exactly. Because when God says, Here's what benefits you, and, and and we're talking about, you know, sexuality specifically, mm. when he says, Here's what benefits you and and I mean, we got to say this. He will say to you, um, what benefits you, it's what's best for you in terms of sexuality, right, from a guy is to restrain yourself from sexual activity 
until you're in marriage. And then once you're in marriage is not only to restrain yourself from sexual activity with other people, but only sexual activity with one, but also in that sexual activity to treat her as Christ treated the church. So even in even in my sexual practices within marriage with one woman, mm. it's still honoring and protecting her in terms of my sexual. I mean, I'm going. There's all, and what what God's saying is, here's the deal. That's how I designed it to work best. Yeah. Now, right? If you want to do something different than that, you got to go. Okay, well, I don't like God's idea. I want my idea. Okay, well, get rid of God, <laughs> right? How do you do that? He's an inconvenient middleman. Right? And, and Marx and Nietzsche tell you, right? You get yeah. rid of him because you just eliminate him from the conversation, right? We just yeah. go on as if he doesn't exist. Nietzsche's like, hey, God's dead. You get to do what you want. And everybody's like, yay, and we celebrate and move on. But even Nietzsche couldn't live by that, right? Because it, it just it simply does not work, right? Mm-hmm. It's the applesauce that you go, hey, this is great. And then a couple minutes later, you got a rumbly and the tumbly and you're about ready to throw up because <laughs> it just that's a hard work. world to live in too because if, if the construct of what's acceptable is always changing and either i set those rules or you set those rules yeah. or worse here's the worst case scenario the three of us set them together the, the relativity of that is is just mind-boggling yeah. and the frustration of it is just ever increasing and i do think maybe maybe nietzsche gets a little bit more intellectually honest towards the end of his life yeah and starts to be like, nah, maybe this wasn't a good idea after all, yeah. because you you can't put enough people in a room to create that kind of u- utopia based way of living. It nope. just, it's just it's it's implausible. It's impractical. And so I think it's it's I don't know. To me, this was the saddest chapter because not only what you know about what this caused historically, yeah. but then just for these guys, what a ultimately sad way of looking at the world you would have to arrive at because yeah. how would you, how would you find joy and hope absent of a god that knows you and loves you and how, how much scarier of a world is that to live in and this is the gospel how much scarier of a world is that to live in to know that at the end of the day this all rises and falls on me yeah. or worse us and i don't know if you've hung out with us in a while but we're not always that nice and so i think it, it really does put a, mm. a bright light. i'm thankful for how he That's frames a good way this of putting it, yeah. you know there's just it's really joyless yeah well he writes in here he says um, human beings must rise to the challenge of self creation of being whoever they choose to be and that's a ton of pressure yeah <laughs> right yeah. i wake up every morning right thankful that god um, didn't sleep cuz i need it yeah that's <laughs> and, right and kept the world spinning cuz i right. can't um, and right it's just like you know that yeah. i can i can barely deal with the the minor minuscule temporary problems and pain that I'm going through. Imagine if I looked at the pain of the world and said, what do I do about that? Mm -hmm. And, and what, what he's saying is right. That unfortunately a lot of people are buying into this because they feel like it's a better solution than God's repressiveness as opposed to God's freedom, but they just don't want that particular freedom. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's, that's that's where, that's where we end up uh, with chapter three, anything else on chapter three that was, Interesting or useful? Don't be a Marxist. <laughs> well, no, I just kept thinking and going back to Romans chapter one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think, and you, you said this to yourself, and again, I, I don't know from a bi- biographical standpoint all of Marx's life, mm-hmm. but from what I understand, a lot of his thought process came out of some hurts. Yeah. That came out of some of this, That's you right. know, uh, uh, the church or, you know, the, the Christian faith and, and some things like that. But um, it's, it's amazing to me how these guys, you know— uh, in an ethereal way, think through these things philosophically, mm. and 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 oftentimes they're a reaction out of something. And then as they progress in life, to your point, and get to the end of it, and start kind of thinking back on their thoughts and, and the things they said, it's like I'm, I'm I'm not quite sure I really believe that, but they've they've taken the truth and they've 
suppressed it. Yeah, that's right. And then and then their ideas run like a wildfire without them because once you've let it out, yep, there it goes. Yeah, that's worth noting, man. Like let's not let's not sleep on the fact that tens of millions of people did try this out. Yeah, and uh, around a billion are still living in this system. Yep. I mean, it's it did. It, it does not promote human flourishing. <laughs> no, no, but it it does touch on. I think what's something in all of this these guys did. They, they pricked a part of people's yeah, hearts yeah. that do bleed a little bit here. And they, they touched on something temporary. And you talked about this, Dan, temporary as it might be. Yep. But if, hey, man, those four years, somebody else is paying the bill. It's kind of a nice dig. That's right. And, and I think there is something attractive to the flesh of, about these things. Yes. That makes people go, let's give that a try. Yeah. But like all, like yeah. all bad ideas, yeah. they don't end well. Yeah. Sin, right? It's, you know, it's pleasing yeah. for a moment. Yeah. And then yeah. you pay the bill. That's right. <laughs> and you're like, that's wow, right. <laughs> that's, that's a lot worse than I thought. Yeah. Uh, well, chapter four, um, sexualizing psychology, politicizing sex. Um, this is where he pulls out um, kind of the, the stops and, and we move pretty quickly. Um, he says here, um, um, in biblical times or in ancient Greece, sex was regarded as something that human beings did. Today, it is considered to be something vital to who human beings are. Yeah. Right? Major, major shift. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, we were talking before we started recording, you know, the, the whole idea of God created us with uh, sexual desires. He also created us with physical desires. Right. One of those is an appetite to eat. Um, but yet I don't run around and define myself by what I eat. Right. Uh, you know, I don't you know, I'm, hey, I'm a meat eater. I'm a carnivore. Right. I mean, you know, and so everything revolves around me being a meat eater. It's like, no, it's just it's like I eat meat. Right. And I also right. eat things that aren't meat. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a part of who I am. It's not who I am. Um, and here's where the shift comes in terms of sexuality. Now it doesn't become a part of who I am. It's not in a sense, one of the appetites, not one of the desires. It is the defining reality of who I am. It is the central core of my being. It is all right. You would define yourself by your sexuality. And so, uh, he introduces us to one of those thinkers, Sigmund Freud. Um, and, uh, um, he says in here, first, the notion that sex is foundation of the human happiness is central to Freud's thinking, right? So if you want to increase human happiness, right, you would increase um, sex, sexuality, sexual desire, right? You would act on every sexual desire that you have uh, without uh, repression, without restriction, and that would create the happiest environment for you, right? And Freud brings this idea to the table, um, uh, with with a doctorate, <laughs> yeah, and and a lot of people right kind of look at it and they're like, wow, like you know, you know that, things. Oh yeah, you, you yeah. <laughs> ooh, he's on to something, man. Like I don't I don't know how we can disagree with this guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, you know, the fulfilled life is the sexual fulfilled life, um, and and there's a, there's a part of what he's saying that gets to the core of who God created us to be as mm-hmm. sexual beings, mm-hmm. um, but yet he oversells it. So that that's all we are. Yeah. Um, and then he limits, in a sense, what God has created us to be, where sex is a part of a fulfilled life. He's like, no, according to you know, Freud, it is the, you know, the apex of it. And yeah. so all of a sudden, right, when you, when you kind of overplay your hand, it, it becomes a really uh, dangerous and, and damaging thing. And, and he, so, so he introduces us uh, to Freud in that. Um, he's going to get on to another guy named uh, Wilhelm. Reich, but what did you guys think about Freud and kind of what he had to share with that? I don't know. As I was reading this, um, and I took a, a sociology class in college, and that's kind of when I was first introduced uh, to Freud. To me, I, it's such a, a shallow 
measure of what a human being is. Yes. When I, I found it offensive, yeah. to be honest with you. I mean, reading it, it's like I, I am who I am and, and the core of who I am is my sexual desire. Yeah. Like it just seems like a very shallow, and, and again, as someone who believes in, in what the Bible tells us, that we're made and created in the image of God, which we don't have time to unpack all of what that means, but that's, that's a, it's a pretty deep and, and profound thing to be made in the image of God um, and the value of, of human life and go, what God intended for us uh, as his creations to just chalk it up to we're just sexual beings, to yeah. me, just yeah. seems like a very shallow measure of what humanity really is. Yeah. It, it's kind of interesting, I think, even if you, let, let's say um, you don't believe in there, a God at all. Let's say I just, I, I look at creation, I look at man, I look at animals, I look at plants. The weird thing is, like, animals and plants even have, in a sense, a reproductive system. Um, you know, animals have sex, right? Plants reproduce, all the different things. But yet we don't define them by that, that sole particular activity. And yet for man, right, it, it is. It's a very sad thing to think, even if you don't believe in God, to, to limit man solely to one particular aspect of their, you know, their body, right? You know, like my genitalia defines who I am. It's like. Dude, there's a lot of appendages that you have, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. one may be more important than the other, right? You know, if I said, hey, would you rather have your eyes or your ears or your nose? Your, I mean, it's like, okay, I mean, you can. Right. But you have right. all of them, right? And so to limit humanity, even without God, but to limit humanity to one aspect of all that we get to, to do and desire and be really is, it's, it's, it's shallow and it's very sad. Well, for Freud, sexualization is the funnel through, every, through, yeah, through everything. Through everything. 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 Everything, everything is originates yep. with sexual identification and the physicality of it and the expression of it, and so that's I'm like Tim. I, that's kind of where I was introduced to his literature in early college, and I went to a small Baptist college, and Freud was still kind of baked in as like yep. you can't just run past him because he's a part of that psycho, the psychological movement of the last two hundred years. Um, I and I don't know, man. I, I have every once in a while, fellas, I, I think about things that I want to ask God in heaven. One of my heaven questions is like, man, how bad was it before the flood? Like how crazy – how crazy was stuff yeah. for you to say, mm, reboot? Yeah. And I, like I, it's worse than this? It's wor- <laughs> and I think, I think what Freudianism, which the backdrop is Darwinianism. Mm. So if, if you take if – you, if you remove God – and, I don't, and I don't, if, I re- if I'm remembering right, and I may, not have, I may not be 100% on this, but I'm not sure that Freud was an atheist per se, but I know he was a naturalist. And so I think if you take the Darwinian background, yeah. right? You close the box. There is no God yeah. now. Yeah. Right? So, so nature all defines that, everything. Yeah. And I, and I think what's, would, what's the highest aspect of nature, right? right? And that right. is happiness. Right. How do I get the greatest happiness right. in, in determining, right. right? I'm a sexual being. It's sex. Well, and, and theism yep. for Freud and all these guys is therapeutic at best, totally. maybe. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like helpful if you need that to sort of like help you navigate through explanations right. of right. bigger things. But the, but the sauce of life is what's right in front of you. Yes. And I think – I don't know. I just – I wonder what the Lord will say to us if we get to ask that question of like how crazy was it before God finally said, I'm going to just restart with this family? Because yeah. you know an aspect I, – I think an aspect of that had to have been just a hypersexualization. Yeah. And I think if you, if you get into the, the, the real bones of what, of what Freud is, is sort of handing to you, like – Hey man, if I was to encapsulate, here's how you should live in a sentence. It's if you feel it, do it. Right. right. Yeah. And so everything. That's the bumper sticker. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Which, everything funnels through that yep. mindset. Yep. Which, again, in my mind, I'm thinking through this. 
if what he says is seeking pleasure and avoiding pain are the key definition of happiness, mm-hmm. I start thinking to myself, well, then why is there so much pain as people pursue whatever they want and, and sexually? Like right. when you look at That's humanity great, yeah. and you look at you know sexual immorality and behaviors that people engage in, that does not hold up. Yeah. And, and the, reason, I mean, the reason people would tell you why there's pain is because you're not allowing them to express, express their the happiness yeah. Right, and you're placing that restrictiveness around. If they really got to right do whatever they wanted, and you celebrated that, then they would be happy, and you would be happy. But because you're not happy, they can't enjoy their happiness as well. Because that's all pain can mean in that context. Exactly, it can only mean you not releasing me to do everything, everything. I want to do. So the way so you've rejected my expressive individualism, then if I think differently, yes, so thank we're you. Back, we're, back, <laughs> we're, back, we're back on this really frustrating carousel yeah. of who gets to be happiest that's today, right. yeah. and it's and that's why it, it, it keeps Freud in business. It's, oh, it's totally, it keeps Freudian psychology. Yes. And being, don't be deceived, young listener out there. There are Freudian psychologists everywhere, everywhere. like yep. you. So that if you're if you've and I'm, we're not we're, by no means would we say anti-counseling and I don't I we don't take that view at all. Yeah, but if you're but, not doing it from a biblical perspective, yeah, this there's is, good and bad counseling. This is this is what yes, you'll get. You what will you get, get fully indoctrinated. How can you be happy? Yeah. Right? Who's yeah. repressing well, your happiness? And such a shallow exactly right. definition of, of happiness. happiness. Like yeah. oh, I think yeah. people forget as as Bible believing Christians, like it's it, I don't follow a God who doesn't care about my happiness. Right. Matter of fact, he God it. cares deeply about yeah. my happiness Absolutely. and my joy and he wants me to experience it. The problem is I don't know naturally the best way to experience that, but when I trust him mm-hmm. and pursue his will and his ways, then all of a sudden I can truly and fully experience happiness and joy the way in which he intended. Yeah, yeah. which is the whole reason that God allows us to have kids and learn that lesson. <laughs> That when your That's kids right. come up and say, hey, I'm going through the store, right? And I know we're going to go to dinner, but I see a snack that I want, right? And that's going to make me happy. And you as a parent say, no, no not, not right now. Now, at a different time, at a different place, at a different context, maybe, right? But not right now. And your kid, of course, melts down in the store and it's like, you don't love me, yada, 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 right? And it's just like, wait a second, <laughs> right? But that's, 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 exactly that's, right. yeah, that's exactly what he's saying is, right, yeah. we all need to be that kid and whatever you want, whenever you want it, you get it. Oh, what a, that's what makes you happy. What a great way to to, to eject monogamy. Oh, yeah. I mean, what, what a great way yeah. to punt on anything, anything. that requires faithfulness from that's right. you. Is, I mean, because like, I mean, he even says this, you know, in, in quoting Freud, that, you know, the fulfilled life is a sexually fulfilled life. And so it's like, if that's, if that's my qualifier to Tim's point for happiness, my only choice, my only recourse is to forever go find that with Everyone, Everyone I possibly, possibly can. And you're never going to find it. And, so that's, that's, why and, that's, and that's the sad part. Yeah. It's just a constant yeah. perpetual. And people become a means to an end for that, which is also really, 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 really a poor way of – that's just a you're, – you're just a poor person. Like that's just a not, a not nice way to live. Yeah. But certainly in the Christian, in the call of the Christian, that's just – that's completely upside down to the plan of God. Well, but I like how you said how people become an end to your sexual pleasure. Sure. Can I say it? Pornography. One hundred one, right? You objectify people. They're an end to your personal pleasure. You use them. You dispose of them. The problem with that is what happens when you want to move on, right, from living in this fake, right, world that doesn't exist to a real relationship? And that takes work and effort. And she's tired and says no. And you're like, wait a second, (laughs) right? Or, hey, dude, could you take out the, you know, the garbage, right? I mean, you know. 
something, right? In a relationship, yeah. right? These right. things are all complex and, right? And it's just like, hang on a sec, right? You're only here for the fulfillment of my personal pleasure. I don't need to, right, work on the relationship, right? I'm just supposed to be able to fulfill my personal pleasure whenever I want. No and I'm telling you, we're raising a generation of young men that that's their concept of what sexuality is. Yeah, a thousand percent. And dealing with relationships with real people is super, super hard to do. Yeah. And it's, 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 I think it's also why we, we've created this categorization of who would best fit me. So oh, all yeah. the algorithms with the online yeah. dating, and I'm not saying not, online dating yeah. is, I'm not. But I, but I see but where you're going. That's right. Here's what makes me happy mm-hmm. as opposed to, right, from a biblical standpoint, what mm-hmm. makes you holy? What gets you closer to God? And you can't ever fine tune the yes. other person enough to intersect, like you were saying, Tim. It's it, how how inexhaustible is that search going to be? Oh, yeah. Before you find Kaiser Cersei, like where, when when do you see him in the lineup? When when do that when does that perfect person appear? Where you go, I found them. What, what, What's the criteria? Okay, which is which is hilarious, right? Because I I know exactly where you're going, right? Mm-hmm. How do I define my search so that I find the perfect person? Which of course, right? Which of course means that I must be the perfect person. I'm the arbiter. Exactly yeah. right because I can I right, I need to search for this perfect person to match with me the other perfect person right and it's like dude you're not a perfect person no way, no way. <laughs> right you need to find somebody who's going to tolerate your stupidity is what you need right 100%. anyway so he he goes on uh introduces us to a guy named wilhelm reich um and uh, he writes this he says the point is clear sexual codes must be shattered if human beings are to be truly free so we talked about this already right uh, those things that inhibit the free ex- sexual expression even as young children are oppressive and prevent individuals from truly being themselves. Uh, so again, we talked about this, right? Any um, law, any restriction, any authority, parents, churches, schools, anything, the government, anything that gets in the way from your free expression of having sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, how often, right? You have to do away with those particular things so that you can express yourself as you desire. Right. And we've seen that. We've systematically seen throughout our culture, right? That a lot of these laws, these things that we have prevented in the past, right? I used to talk about how, you know, from a law, from a legal standpoint, right? You can prohibit something, you can permit something, you can promote something, right? So homosexuality, right? We used to prohibit, right? Then uh, with the uh, Lawrence versus Texas case, right? We permitted, right? And then, right? We promote it. Right. And doubt we promote to the point where now we have same sex marriage and we promote that. So we take the relationship that we used to prohibit. Right. And now we have to promote it. And that's what they're saying is just watch this progression. And that's all a progression. Right. That's happened in the last 50 years. <laughs> well, it's, well, it's <laughs> it 500 years ago. Well, and, and so like the inverse of that is listen to the folks who were furious when Roe fell last yes. year. And what was their first argument? Now that you've got Roe, what are you coming for next? You're coming for a Burgerfell. That's right. You're coming for gay marriage. So exactly. The, the, well, the, of course. The, well, the cultural they, hand was shown. They, and, but they read, they read Thomas, and that's exactly yeah, what he yeah, said. They he got said, real nervous. He yeah. said, hey, since we're, uh, yeah. since we're looking at bad we're laws. we're in the neighborhood of this. <laughs> yeah, since we're looking at bad laws. Why don't we walk this one back yeah, to we, Yeah, we could probably look at these bad laws that, that you really don't have any you know, permission to do. But it shows the right? hand of the culture. Exactly. Like, this is clearly where the mindset is meant to to take you mm-hmm. this is this is the end result yep. and so like when you see those moments it reveals like please don't walk that back yeah because look what look what all was forfeited to get that and it's almost like how how far out do the tent posts have to go before it's just full 
and both of these guys, I think they, they give you roadmaps for, I don't know, figure it out. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no boundaries to it. And that's, that's really difficult. Like as pastors, that's, that would be, uh, we, there's, uh, there's just no, there's no framework for us to operate in for that because a lot of discipleship is being like, let's not, let's pivot to this. Like Jesus says something about this and it's just, this is just not, there's no way. I think one of the things I thought about this for Tim is there, there's, there's no way to comport what these guys are saying into any kind of biblical discipleship. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't fit mm-hmm. in any conversation we would have with someone. Well, but disciple. it doesn't work in reality either. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. If everybody did whatever they wanted to do, <laughs> you just imagine, right? Going back to what you said about before the yeah. flood, <laughs> yeah. right? That, yeah. That's what you get, yeah. right? And so I think rules it's, it's and not, boundaries. It's not fun. Yeah, but I think rules and boundaries. It's like our kids, right? Yes. Our kids buck up against our rules and our boundaries, but it's for their good. And at some point, they're going to come to learn and realize that those rules and those boundaries and those guardrails actually provided a safe space for them. Yeah. Well, okay. To well, flourish. You know, it's fine. Okay. Going back to baseball. Sorry. Um, one of the most frustrating things about a baseball game, right, is the umpire who, who's, you know, it's not a ball or strike until I say it's a ball or strike. So I saw that the, I think the minor leagues, right, are going this, to, yeah. um, and, thank you, mm-hmm. thank you, you know, right, but an automated, you know, balls and strikes where it's you know, a little laser so that you, you don't even allow human error, right, that I put a box up there. And if it's in the box, it's a strike. If it's outside the box, it's not a strike. It's a ball. Do you understand? Like, I can't even allow human error to be a part of that. Because that's a rule. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at that going, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> right? Why do we not understand that we like our baseball game the way we like life? Give me some rules. Give me some guardrails. Give me some you know, defined things so that I can know how to act and respond. If I take all rules and just throw them off and do whatever I want, it's like, wait a second. Then that's the guy who's over there calling balls and strikes just because he feels like it. Yeah. Right, and it's just frustrating game, and and you know when when they don't throw the flag on your team, right, for a clear penalty, right, people freak out. <laughs> right, but yet right. they want to live a life that says, "Hey, no flags." It's like, no, that it it, no. it doesn't work in any game of life. Why would it work in life? So it's it's a fascinating thing to just kind of think about. Yeah, I mean, I think about driving my family to Colorado in the mountains every summer. We yeah. go to family camp and. The guardrails are there. Amen. You know why the guardrails are there? Uh, because you don't want to go to the other side yeah. uh, because there's death on the other side, right? right? Those guardrails provide a safe boundary to know, hey, you stay here, you're safe, yeah. right? Uh, you go on the other side, you're, you're, you're not, yeah. right? But I'm glad, so, you, okay, I'm glad you said and you introduced the word death, right? Because that's what we're talking about. Yeah. We're, we're not talking about these things, right, when you make a mistake in life that it's not that big of a deal, Right, because when you when you don't live according to a particular standard, people get hurt. You get hurt. Other people get hurt. And ultimately, if you don't have any standard at all, and there is no objective truth, and there is no objective reality, right? Then there there really isn't pain. There really isn't pleasure. There isn't anything at all. It doesn't really matter. But if there is, if you're not going to live by it, then right, you're going to suffer death, right? And you're going to be removed from that objective truth and that standard, unless there's a way for you to get into right that presence. Right, because if there's an objective standard and you aren't living by it, then, right, then you're toast. You're dead. Right. And that's why. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I love being a Christian. Right, because God said, "Hey, here's the deal. I know that you want to be in here. You want to be in the family. You want to be in the protective place. So I'm going to make a way for you to do it." 
right? And it's not going to be for and you to And by do the it way, when you don't, what do you experience? You experience pain. Yes. Why? Because pain tells you this is not the, this way, is it's not the way it's to supposed to be. to be. Right. So the, the only way you survive outside the guardrail for a little while is if you pretend that the mountain's just not that high. <laughs> so you, you just decide in your mind, and he gets into this when we get into the LGBTQ stuff and yes. the reforming of the physicality and the, the psychological yep. and yep. all these things. It's the gymnastics in your mind that says, I mean, falling off a mountain is not that bad. Not that though. bad. It's not a big deal. Yeah. So, so what if dad drives off the cliff? It'll be a fun ride down. Yeah. Like, it's all good. Like yeah, you, and for the first that's two, the irrationality. Right, for the first 20 seconds, it is. Yeah, it's a blast. <laughs> Until eventually, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you, you're At confronted. some point, you hit the bottom. And that's your, and that, I mean, I yeah. appreciate Tim's, Tim's point is so true. Like, eventually, you will confront the reality Amen. of what's real. That's right. And so it's just a matter of what we've done culturally is we've elongated the fall. Mm-hmm. Like, instead of a 20-foot drop, we've given you a 5,000-foot drop. It just takes longer. Yep. And that's all that all of this really does for yep. you is it just prolongs the inevitable, Amen. which is you'll enjoy it a little longer, but you're still, it's still going to kill you. Yep. And that's and that is what sin does. It leads to death. That's what Romans six says. Well, and not just physical death, but we're also talking about eternal that's right. ramifications. Oh, yeah, right? That's right. Where there's no unwinding. See, in life you experience pain, heartache, you suffer. There there are times when you can, you know, by God's grace, there there's there's redemption mm, no on question. the other side of that. But when that runs out, right, when the clock stops, like you can't go back, right? So just let that sit for a little bit. <laughs> that, but that's the gospel, and it's why that's it's so why profound. annihilationism is picking up steam in some theological sure. conversations. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, man, if I can if I can disassociate from yep. some sort of punishment from sin, then the only thing left. Richard Rohr is a big fan of this, and he's he's impacting a lot of young thinkers and young minds. This idea that this universal Christ and this and this non eternal, non there's nothing punitive about after everybody goes to heaven. Everything's right here. It's all right here. Yeah, yeah every and really heaven is now. Heaven is you. G- Jesus is you. And what we can create and it's it and if if we just go back to Truman's point, like these guys were planting the seeds for that. Yeah, they were looking at an ever changing world, a hyper industrialized world, and they were going, hold on, wait a second. There's some. There's got to be something better than just the routine of waking up and doing life. Yeah, and that's it's it's just this falsehood. Yeah. That's why ultimately, if you if you really get honest with yourself and you look at your worldview, right? If you if you are buying into something other than a biblical worldview that God has created, God has designed, and mm-hmm. God has put into order, if you're trying to create some other worldview and trying to live by it, it just it simply doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It may work for a while if you lie to yourself, but ultimately it's going to fail. And, right. and that and that that crash is coming. Mm-hmm. So anyway, chapters three and four, good stuff in there. We'll, uh, we'll get ready. Um, I, I know it's meaty, right? But it's, uh, it's good. We'll get ready for chapters five and six next week. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time. In the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.